0: Ephesians 2, look at verse 1. Ephesians 2, verse 1. God says this, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That's some bad news there in those three verses. So let's uh, just highlight a few important points here, make sure we understand this. Now here, the text is proposing for us that God wants you to do something. God wants you to know something. God wants you to understand, in this case, He wants you to understand the sad state of the unbeliever. He wants you to understand the sad state of the believer. Just how bad is the non-Christian's position? Just how bad is the non-Christian's nature? That is, before they were saved. What we see here, first of all, the unbeliever is spiritually dead. The unbeliever is spiritually dead because it says, You were dead. Now, dead there just means not not physical death. It means a spiritual death. In other words, this person, this individual here, is unable to understand. is un, isn't able to appreciate spiritual things. He possesses no spiritual life. He can't can't do anything that is able to please God in this state. So, just as a person. Who is physically dead doesn't respond to physical stimuli. So a person who is spiritually dead is unable to respond to spiritual things. See, you've all gone to funerals, right? Sometimes at funerals, the casket is open. And and a corpse, you, you look at a corpse, a corpse is not able to hear the conversations that happen in the room. A corpse... Can't see anything, a corpse can't smell anything, a corpse can't hear anything, a corpse, nothing, none of those senses are working in a corpse because he's dead. He feels no pain, he has no appetite any longer for food and drink because he's dead. And that's the way it is, my friends, in the inner being of an unsaved person. His spiritual faculties are not functioning, they can't function until. God does a resurrection because the person's dead. And this is a massive problem you need to understand. What you need to understand what causes this problem is the the cause of the spiritual death is mentioned right there in verse 1. You were dead in what? You were dead in the trespasses and sins. <laughs> Therein lies the problem, my friends, because before a Christian is saved, you're like every other person who is apart from God. Notice it's past tense. You were dead, because that's the way all non-Christians, unbelievers are. They are dead spiritually dead. But a believer then is no longer that. You're not. You're, a believer is no longer dead in trespasses and sins. So let me make sure we understand what the Bible's talking about here. See, the Greek case here is talking about a particular sphere. It's indicating a sphere or realm in which something or someone exists. It's talking about their position, their standing. We were not dead because we just committed some sins, but because we were in sin. I hope you get the difference there. See, in the context here, trespasses and sins do not simply refer to acts that you do, but it refers to a sphere of existence of this person apart from God. It's a state, a position you're in. See, he doesn't... Let's put it this way. You don't become a liar just by telling a lie. See, a liar tells lies because of their sin, nature. Do Do you see the difference? You're already a liar because of your very nature, He's already a liar. Uh, Let's put it another way. This person doesn't become a thief when they steal something. See, why is the thief stealing? The thief is stealing because it's his nature. He's already a thief. He's just following his will. He's following his nature. See, committing sinful acts doesn't make us sinners we commit sinful acts because we're already sinners. You were born a sinner. And Jesus, you say, well, did, did Jesus say anything about this? Yes, He did. Okay, <laughs> Jesus actually confirms this theological truth. He makes a few statements that I find helpful here. For example, listen to what Jesus said, and then I'll give you a quote from a hymn again. Jesus says that the good person, out of his good treasure, brings forth good. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, brings forth evil. Surprise, surprise. You just do what your nature tells you to do. Your will is going to follow your nature here. Jesus put it this way in Matthew 15. He says, what comes out of the mouth, Where's that come from? It comes from your heart, your inner being. And guess what? This defiles a person, for out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. So Jesus would say people are not basically okay. People are, no, they're more than sick. Jesus agrees that people are spiritually dead. So what is trespasses? Because verse 1 tells you you you're, you were dead in the trespasses. Trespasses literally means to slip, to fall, to stumble it means you're deviating from a path it means you're going the wrong direction <laughs> that word sins there originally carried the idea of missing the mark like you'll see on the screen it's kind of like uh, i don't know if any of you've ever been bow hunting i i used to do bow hunting i love bow hunting but when you're when you have a bow and arrow sometimes it can be difficult to hit the target you have a target, you're aiming at, you're trying to hit the bullseye of that target. And and harmatia, the Greek word which translated in English as sin, most common word, is it means missing the mark, like a like someone with bow and arrow trying to hit the bullseye of the target and never hitting it. That's what it means. So that word uh harmatia came to represent you're missing something, you're missing a goal. You're missing a certain standard or, or a purpose in life. And so when you translate that into the spiritual realm, it just refers to missing something, falling short of something. And Romans 3 tells you the goal. Romans 3 tells you your purpose, your, your standard. The bullseye is what? The glory of God. You have fallen short. You've missed that bullseye, the mark, which is God's standard of holiness. Jesus says to be as perfect as his Father, which, of course, none of us can do. So we've all fallen short. We've missed the mark. That's a problem. But it gets even worse in this text because not only were you spiritually dead in your trespasses and sins, but notice the unbeliever here, every non-Christian or unbeliever is enslaved to three enemies. We all have three enemies. Notice, first of all, The first enemy is the world, the cosmos, because verse 2 says, you were dead, not only in your sins, but it goes on to say, in which you once walked, now you're following the course of this world. This system. (laughs) Ruled by Satan. We're enslaved to this system. And so, that's the way it is unless... According to Romans 12, you are renewed in your minds. If not, then you're unable to perform anything else. You are going to follow the world system, and so the world mocks Christians when when it hears these sort of things. The world might say, "Well, see, uh, I mean these these narrow-minded Christians. You know, they're they're just locked up in their Bibles." They're in slavery to their Bible or to God, <laughs> to their God. Well, actually, it's the world that is enslaved, according to God. These kind of people are entirely controlled by the world's thought system. Now, they like to think of themselves as independent thinkers, right? You ever notice that? Talk to an unbeliever. I'm a, I'm my own thinker. I'm the master of my own fate. Kind of a you know a thought, but. I love the way Pastor Martin Lloyd-Jones, a pastor in England, here's the way he used to say it, quote. He said, uh, They think as the world thinks. They take their opinions ready-made from their favorite newspaper. Their very appearance is controlled by the world in its changing fashions. They all conform. It must be done. They dare not disobey. They are afraid of the consequences. End quote. (laughs) You ever notice your unsaved workmates, your family members, your unsaved family members? Oh, they're conforming to the world, and therefore they're enslaved. But there's a second enemy that the Bible points out here. See, the unbeliever is also enslaved to the devil. Now, he has many different, different titles in the Bible, also known as Satan. So, an unbeliever, uh, the non-Christian is enslaved by the devil. And it's interesting, in this verse... It it mentions, it calls him the prince of the power of the air. And then it goes on to say that the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. And in this verse, that word spirit there, by the way, is not a synonym for the devil, uh, as if it's referring to the evil spirit. But spirit is, um, let me put it this way, in Greek it's a genitive case. Uh, while ruler is the uh, an accusative case, it just means this, my friends. The phrase should be translated the ruler of the kingdom of the air, who is also the ruler of the spirit that 's now at work in these disobedient people so it 's telling us how the devil enslaves people. How does the devil enslave men and women it 's not that he is personally omnipresent he 's not all present right the devil can't be everywhere like god he is only one being and can only be present in one place at one time so how does he do that the idea here is is um, what it means is through the evil spirit or outlook present in the world if you we could say that's how he's ruling and reigning he's using the system that that we live in to rule and reign over people's hearts, he's conforming your heart, or he's trying to. He tried to conform your heart to his system that he rules over. That's a problem. That's a very serious problem. But but it gets even worse because there's a third enemy mentioned in your text, and it is your flesh, your sin nature. When it, when it mention flesh, it's not talking about your skin, right? Paint your skin. Not that flesh. Because look what it says in verse 3. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. So the third area here of, of your human slavery for, for every unbeliever is the sin nature. The sin cravings. We all are always at work in us trying to gratify their desires. So it's your, your fallen sinful nature It's embracing both our fleshly desires as well as even our own wicked thoughts. So we have fleshly sins of some, well, obvious things that manifest themselves on the outside, on the externals, as Jesus said. All those external things, where are they coming from? Your flesh, your sin nature. So things like gluttony, laziness, lust, greed, and so forth, and all the other sins, those those are manifestations of an inner being that is lost. We have inner intellectual sins as well, by the way, not just external sins. We, we have internal sins such as pride, sinful ambitions, hostility to the truth of God. Uh, the Bible mentions things like malice and envy, just to name a few. And sadly, we are trapped. People are trapped by these things. And so in our fallen state, we can't turn from the sin. We can't seek after God. We can't even stop sinning because that's what we desire. We're just following our our desires. We're on a path of self-destruction as a result. Well, my friends, after the description of those verses, we find ourselves wondering if anything worse could possibly be said about the fallen state of men and women. And it seems as if nothing more could be added here, but Paul Paul goes for the knockout punch. Paul does add something else here and it's it, it is something that is so horrible, that is so overwhelming that all those other descriptions we just looked at actually fade into the background when when it's placed next to the end of verse 3 because the end of verse 3 says we are by nature objects of God's wrath and if you don't understand God's wrath then you you don't understand just how desperate how horrible the situation is see the unbeliever is as a result of their sin and, and the 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 enslavement that they're in they are now under God's wrath. And some people look at that, and uh, they have interesting choice words to say. Uh, I could just hear some people, some unbelievers say, wrath, did did you actually use the W word? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, the Bible uses the W word because God uses the W word. If that is what you say, these unbelievers, you know, well, I can hardly believe, I can hardly take you seriously, some people might say. How can anyone possibly talk about the wrath of God today? Too many people just want to talk about the love of God, the mercy of God, the grace of God. Some people might say, well, okay, maybe it's in the Bible, uh, in some very obscure places that are hard to understand, but surely Christians today... uh, Man, you just should be embarrassed. You need to be embarrassed by this wrath of God stuff. Speak of God's love. Talk about His mercy. might even go so far as talk about His justice, but don't talk about His wrath. No, don't go there. I've heard those objections. They're in books. They're in the blogs. They're on the Internet. And sadly, sometimes they're in pulpits. It's sadly an example of the very bondage that a lot of people live in. it's, It's part of the slavery that some people sit in the pews and they listen to false teachers who refuse to share the whole counsel of God. The worldly mind does not take God's wrath seriously because they don't understand the first few verses here of Ephesians 2. They don't understand the seriousness of the sin problem. They don't understand human nature yet if sin is as bad as the Bible declares it to be there is nothing more just or reasonable than God's wrath see God's wrath is not just capricious it's not just being thrown out there for no reason whatsoever if you take together these passages they're indicating in fact that God's very wrath is something that is consistent with his nature it's something that is under control. His wrath is judicial. And that is what makes this so frightening. See, the doctrine of wrath doesn't mean that God just gets angry once in a while. He's not like the Greek and the Roman gods. He's not losing control of Himself. The doctrine of wrath doesn't mean that God merely gets angry just once in a while, or He's just lashing out in anger, He... Uh, and then sometimes he forgets about our sin. No, that's not the point here. It's rather his wrath is something that is inevitable. His wrath is a growing opposition to all that is opposed to his very nature. He's responding to the rebellion against himself. We need to understand how serious this is. See, there's there's a present dimension there's a past dimension, and there's a future dimension to God's wrath. Let me just talk about the present dimension to God's wrath. See, Paul also talks about this in Romans chapter 1. In Romans 1, you can read this later, maybe today I'd recommend you do so, but Paul shows that whenever the truth about God is rejected, it, it leads to some very bad and serious consequences. Do you understand this, the consequences for rejecting God's truth? See, Paul says in Romans one, it leads to the darkening of our understanding. We we can't even understand truth. It, it leads to a degradation even of our religious awareness. There's a corresponding degradation of one's person. It leads to even sins like homosexuality, Paul says. Sexual perversions, lies, envies, hatred, murder, strife, deceit, disobedient to parents, and then all kinds of other nasty consequences are mentioned in Romans 1. When you reject God, sometimes He just leaves you hanging there and lets you fulfill the consequences of your sin. And it's devastating. It's self-destructive. So we can express this here by saying that the holiness of God Never allows sin to thrive. It's not a good thing. But not only is there a present dimension to the wrath of God, see, there, there's going to be present consequences that God is going to f- fulfill in you if you want to fulfill and gratify your own desires. See, there's a future dimension to God's wrath. And the Bible talks about this in Hebrews. This is scary, a scary passage. Look what Hebrews indicates here for us in chapter 10. Anyone who rejects the law of Moses, what's that? That's the first five books of your Bible. Okay, you, you reject the Bible, in other words, the law of Moses, what happens? This person died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severe do you think a man deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot? who is treated as an unholy thing, the blood of the covenant that sanctified him, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace. For we know him who said, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, and again the Lord will judge his people. It's a very pleasant and comfortable and wonderful thing, isn't it? To fall into the hands of the living God. I'm I'm purposely saying the wrong thing. I'm not a false teacher. I'm purposely changing the opposite so you get the point. No, it's not a wonderful thing. It is a dreadful thing. I plead you, (laughs) don't go here. Because it's a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Don't rebel against Him. Don't, Don't remain in this unbelieving state, in this sinful nature state here. It's a horrible state. So you say, well, what is to be done for people who are trapped in their trespasses and sins, who are trapped in, in their sin nature, unable to escape? They're being carried along to, to to the outpouring of God's wrath on their lives. Is there any hope? That's bad news. Give me some hope, please, right? I'm glad you want hope. My friends, humanly speaking, there's nothing that can be done. Humanly speaking. See, a sinner can't save himself because they're spiritually dead. And even a redeemed person can't save another sinner. A redeemed person can lead you to the living water, to the the one who is life himself. The state of the unsaved man or woman is humanly hopeless. But what is impossible to to people, though, is certainly possible to God. And therein lies our hope. See, there's a, a radical problem of spiritual death requires a radical solution, right? If somebody is physically dead, there requires a radical solution to change the state of that person. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. The good news is God supplies that. And so this is where the next verses in our Bible come in. Because some have said the greatest word in the Bible is the beginning of verse 4. Don't you love the beginning of verse 4? That is possibly the best word in your entire Bible. It it brings great hope. I hope you're all looking at it. What's the first word in verse 4? It's a conjunction. It's showing you contrast. The word but gives you great hope. (laughs) So no sooner has the Apostle Paul spoken of the the way uh, that Christians were, and now he's just joyfully breaking out in this good news bad news first three verses but look at verse 4 but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us even all this past bad stuff here even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved by the way that's that's the central, verse Verse 5 is the central idea of this whole paragraph, which goes keeps going all the way to verse 10, by the way. The whole paragraph goes on to verse 10. Paul loves really long sentences. But, um, but the central idea is right there in verse 5. He performed resurrection on these spiritually dead people. All Christians have had a resurrection because they were made alive. Are you dead in your transgressions? Are you dead in your sins? Well, if that's no longer the case, then God did a resurrection on you. God performed resurrection, and that's what He does for Christians. That's what He can do for you if you're an unbeliever, my friend. If if you are a non-Christian today, He can resurrect your spiritual life, too. He can reach down to to a ruined, miserable, trapped sinner, and make you alive. He can bring you this spiritual life. He calls people. And His voice, by the way, brings the dead to life. Brings the those who are running away from Him. And, and He can change a stony, dead, lifeless heart to one that loves Him. <laughs> That's amazing, isn't it? I love the way the evangelist from the 1700s, George Whitfield, here's the way he put it, and, and of course he's using the Bible to illustrate this. He he compared this great concept of God taking dead and making alive, and he used the illustration of one of Jesus's friends, Lazarus, who had died, and Jesus goes and meets uh you know remember mary and martha and lazarus is already dead and he's been in the tomb for several days and he's he's starting to really stink pretty bad at this point and the evangelist george whitfield uses this illustration from the bible here's what he says quote i put it on the screen for you he says come you dead Christless unconverted sinners come and see the place where they laid the body of the deceased lazarus behold him laid out bound hand and foot with grave clothes locked up And stinking in a dark cave with a great stone placed on top of it. View him again and again. No, go nearer to him. Be not afraid. Smell him. Ah, how he stinks. Was he bound hand and foot with grave clothes? So you are bound hand and foot with your corruptions. And as a stone was laid on the grave, so is there a stone of unbelief upon your heart. Perhaps you have lain in this state, not only four days, but many years, stinking in God's nostrils. And what is still more affecting is you are as unable to raise yourself out of this loathsome, dead state to a life of righteousness and true holiness as ever Lazarus was to raise himself from the cave in which he lay so long. You may try the power of your free will, in the force and energy of moral persuasion and rational arguments. But all your efforts will prove fruitless till that same Jesus who said, take away the stone and cried, Lazarus, come forth, also makes you alive. Therefore, verse 5 of Ephesians 2. That's our only hope. Our only hope. God's the only one who can change your position, your very nature. And so, praise God. Apart from His regenerating work, there is no hope whatsoever for anybody on planet Earth. But because God is in the business of resurrection, and He has all resurrection power, even the worst rebel can be saved. (laughs) The Apostle Paul understood this truth. God did this work in his life. The one who was even against Christ himself, God regenerated him and turned him into the Apostle Paul. God has that ability and that power to do to you as well. And and for all Christians in this room, you understand this power. You understand this resurrection power. The regenerating work of the Holy Spirit in your life is powerful. And he's continuing to sanctify us. Praise God. One day we'll all be glorified. Will all be conformed into the image of Christ, and we look forward to that day. May God enable us to understand these truths may we, un- may we understand the sad state reality of the unbeliever. May we as Christians understand where we've come from, what we've been saved from and may that be a a great hope and a blessing, and may it cause us to share this glorious truth and the power of God to others who don't know this, who still walk in darkness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for these glorious truths. We're thankful that you are a great God who, who is regenerating, is saving, and bringing, making alive people who are dead in their trespasses and sins, people who are enslaved to these enemies, and who are even under your very wrath. May we understand these truths. May we be able to communicate them to a lost world who, who doesn't really understand the, the serious problem they're in. Would you give us hope? Would you bestow your grace upon us who are believers that we would understand these truths and then be able to communicate them to those who are lost? May they bring us great comfort great hope. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.